Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, we are reminded of your greatness and your power. Father, I'm aware of my weakness and my need for you in these moments. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher? Would you awaken faith in our hearts? Help us to see reality as it really is, as you tell us it really is in your word. And I just pray, Father, in these moments that you would lift up the name of Jesus. Help us to see him for who he is, the glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. Come and do your work in our hearts in these moments, Father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before we dive into Daniel 10, um, just want to tell you a little bit of what life is like in my house. Uh, some of you know that my wife Erin and I are raising three little boys, ages five, three, and one, and therefore there's a lot of fighting in our house. Um, and I don't just mean fighting over toys, because there's plenty of that as well. Um, for example, our three-year-old got stitches last month. That's our first set of stitches we've had. It won't be our last, I'm confident. But he was chasing his brother, his older brother, around the living room in anger. Certainly some sin involved. And, uh, and he's running around the coffee table and trips and hits his ear on the base of the coffee table, which has since been evicted from our home and sent to the garage. Um, and he had to get stitches on the front and the back of his ear. Uh, and so there was some, some blood shed on our living room carpet. Um, and that's just one example. But what I'm talking about is they just love to fight uh, in general. Like they just love contact, like hand-to-hand combat. And so I'll come home from work oftentimes uh, to my oldest son, Case. He has this bucket of cotton pretend snowballs because they just always want to have a snowball fight, but it's hard to do in Houston. So he has these snowballs and he'll be hiding behind the couch and he'll just be launching them at me. So he's kind of, uh, you know, fighting in that way. And then Declan, he prefers the foam sword and shield. And he's usually humming the tune from the last battle in Narnia. He's like, dun, 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 slow-mo coming over to just take a swipe at me. And then our youngest one, um, Tate, our, our baby, will come toddling in, and he's more of just like a hand-to-hand combat guy. So he just jumps on me and wants in on the battle. And you don't have to teach these boys to fight. They just know instinctively we were born for this. And, uh, and as I have been thinking about this passage in Daniel chapter 10, it is a chapter about prayer, and it's a chapter about war. And so my title this morning is very simply, Prayer as War. What we're going to see in Daniel chapter 10 is that we are invited, and in fact, we are, Christians are necessarily implicated in a fight. That we really, oftentimes we kind of withdraw and say, I don't don't want any trouble. Like, I don't want to be involved in this spiritual battle that's going on, and yet we were We were born again into the family of God to participate in a real battle in the spiritual realms. And what we're going to see in Daniel 10 is this. Engaging in prayer as war, it requires discipline that's undergirded by desperation. But not only that, it is sustained. We will be sustained and strengthened in this battle by divine love. We're going to see that gloriously in this passage. But then finally, the result of engaging in prayer as war, it results in unseen, real answers to prayer in the spiritual realms. 
So we're going to dive into this and see this in Daniel chapter 10. Um, But before we do, I just need to address some of the things that you might be wondering about this chapter. I know many of you studied this in your house church either this past Sunday or Wednesday and are wondering, who is this man that appears to Daniel? Like he has this terrifying appearance of a man, and yet I wish he could give us a little more details. Maybe he could be a little more specific so we could know exactly who it is that appeared to him. And I just want to say that rather than spending 15 minutes on all the different theories that we uh, can find in commentaries, I want to say regardless of who it is, Jesus is glorious. And let me show you why. It is possible that this is a Christophany. This is an appearance of, of the pre-incarnate Christ, of Jesus our Lord, um, here in Daniel chapter 10. And if you read the description in verses four through, or sorry, verses five and six, it lines up pretty closely with what John sees in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. There's a lot of overlap between this vision and what John sees when he sees Jesus in Revelation 1. So I'll let you dive into that for your homework. But some will say, hey, wait a second, but why does he need Michael's help to defeat the prince of Persia? Like Jesus doesn't need any help. The apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2 that he's gonna kill the man of lawlessness with the breath of his mouth. Like he is good. He does not need anybody's help. And so some will say, and some commentators say, that perhaps perhaps he also, the Lord also sent an interpreting angel to explain the vision, which is gonna carry on into chapters 11 and 12. That same rhythm happens in the book of Revelation. Jesus appears in chapter one. There's an interpreting angel later on. In chapter 17, perhaps that's what's going on here. You know, Daniel is not exactly in the best state of mind in this story. I mean, if this happened to your 88-year-old grandfather, you would probably rush him to the hospital because he says he has no breath in him and he feels like he's going to die. So he's doing the best he can to write everything down. But it was pretty intense, it seems like, what he saw in Daniel 10. Um, Some say maybe it's Gabriel. What's interesting about that, though, is Gabriel appeared to Daniel in chapters 8 and 9, and he seems to recognize him right away. Um, So it could be Gabriel and Daniel's just a little disoriented, or maybe it's some other nameless angel, because in Revelation 15, um, there's seven angels that are dressed in a similar wardrobe, like the white robe and the golden sash. And so regardless, this might be Jesus appearing to Daniel, which is glorious, that the Son of God would come at this moment, at the end of his life, just to tell Daniel that he loves him and that his prayers have been heard. That is glorious. Or maybe it's an unnamed angel that Jesus sent, and this also shows us the glory of Jesus, that just the reflection of Jesus's glory that this angel is wearing all over him is so overwhelming that Daniel feels like he's going to die. This is like secondhand glory from Jesus deflected onto Daniel. He's like, this has just done me in. Regardless, our Lord is glorious, and we're going to see that in this passage. And so let's dive in and see that engaging in prayer as war requires discipline undergirded by desperation. Did you see it in verse 2? It says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. We need to ask ourselves a question. He says, in those days, which days is he talking about? Interestingly, this is during the reign of King Cyrus. 
And if you're reading your Bible carefully, you'll remember that Cyrus is an important biblical figure. You can read about him in Ezra chapter one. It was King Cyrus whom the Lord put it on his heart to allow the Israelites who were in exile, anyone whose heart moved them could return to the land, could return to Jerusalem to rebuild the house of God. Isn't that incredible that our God is sovereign over the kings of the earth? It's like Proverbs 21 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And yet, a couple years into that journey, there has been great opposition. You can read about it in Ezra chapter four. And so what's happening is the people of God have set out to rebuild the house of the Lord, and yet the enemies of God are opposing them strongly. And Daniel is left in Babylon. He, he might be close to 90 years old at this point. It's a 900-mile journey back to Jerusalem. And he has decided, perhaps his health has, has made that decision for him, but he has decided to stay in Babylon and do the work of interceding for the people of God. He is engaged in the battle of advancing God's kingdom by praying. And he's doing this work carrying the heaviness of the people of God that the work is opposed and he's mourning, and he's fasting, he's calling out to God. Daniel is a disciplined dude. And I know if you guys have been reading with us chapters 1 through 10 of Daniel, it's kind of overwhelming. It's a little bit intimidating to read about Daniel's discipline. It's almost a crushing example, if we're honest. We read about him three times a day returning to his room. Whenever he get a break from attending to the king's business, he's going back into God's presence, not just for one quiet time. He goes back three times a day and says, oh God, I need you. He gives thanks to God. He calls out to him. He knows where his strength lies. He knows where his power comes from. And what we see is Daniel's discipline is undergirded by his awareness of his desperation. And for you and me, we will not match Daniel's discipline until we match his awareness of our need. You see, Daniel knew that apart from God's help, he was not going to make it in Babylon. And so here we find him 70 years later. I mean, ever since he was a teenager, all the way to his late 80s, he is calling out to God saying, God, I need you. I'm helpless apart from you. One of my favorite quotes on prayer comes from Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life. Maybe you've heard me quote this before, but he says, prayer is bringing our helplessness to Jesus. I love that. Daniel understood what it, mean, what it meant to bring our helplessness to the Lord and to call out to him. And I wonder, I wonder if you know this desperation or if you still think that you can do life on your own. You know, Daniel's name you might remember from our study earlier, Daniel's name means God is my judge. The reason why he's so fearless before other people is he knows, he knows that God, that Yahweh the Lord is the one who judges him. The holy and righteous God of the universe, that's who he's living for. That's whose approval he's focused on. Not whatever king happens to be standing in front of him in that particular moment in his story. And so Daniel knows that God is holy and apart from his mercy, Daniel has no hope. And so he appeals to God's mercy and his help and his forgiveness regularly. You know, that name, God is my judge, it can also be translated, God is my vindication. 
Daniel knows that the God who is holy, holy, holy is also a God of mercy and grace. And anyone who would take their faith out of themselves or their circumstances or anyone else and place their faith in him is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and a faith that's looking forward to Christ alone, whom Daniel has seen in a vision in Daniel 7, one like a son of man to whom is given thrones and dominions and kingdom. So let me ask you, do you know this God who makes a way for sinners like us to be forgiven? Do you bring your helplessness to him? If we aren't aware of our helplessness, we will not pray like Daniel. It's our helplessness that undergirds discipline. Let me just show us one thing from Daniel 9. If you guys were here last week or studying this on your own, I want us to see this in Daniel's prayer life. He says in Daniel 9, verse 7, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. He goes on to say, We have sinned against you. To you, O Lord, belong mercy and forgiveness. Do you know this about God, that if you bring your need to him, if you bring your sin before him, he loves to extend grace. He delights in saving sinners. The question is, will we come to him? This came home for me over the past couple weeks as I was preparing for this sermon. Um, I was listening a couple weeks ago to Sam Alberry. Some of you guys were with us. Uh, he was teaching here a couple weekends ago. And he said this thing. He said, you know, when it comes to church, you can either try to be impressive or you can be known, but you can't do both. As I've been chewing on that and meditating on that, one of the things that God brought to mind for me is how often I try to just be impressive, even in the way that I confess sin to the brothers in Christ closest to me. And I was thinking about this. Um, God was putting on my heart some sin that I needed to confess to Uh, my brothers that I work with on our pastoral team. uh, We have a standing meeting on Monday morning. Some of you guys have heard about this. Monday at 8 a.m., the way that that our week starts for Jeremiah and Peter and Tyler and myself is it starts with us confessing sin to each other and praying for each other. And I had been convicted by the Lord that I was sharing just a few things. I mean, I have a lot of sin, so I can just choose a few things over here to share and, and not these other realities that are deeper in my heart. And the Lord was putting on my heart, like, no, you need to share this unforgiveness in your heart, this bitterness, this resentment in your heart towards these men whom you love, whom you serve alongside and are like dear friends and mentors. And so I I walked in a couple weeks ago and I was like, all right, this is rather uncomfortable. I wish I could confess something else, but actually I need to confess that I have sinned against you. I need to ask for your forgiveness. And what had happened is there were some things that were said or there were expectations that were missed and I had just swept those under the rug and allowed them to build up in my heart. You know, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, he says um, about forgiveness. He says, I have forgiven these things in the presence of Christ because we do not want to be outwitted by Satan. We're not ignorant of his designs. And I realized how, how I had been ignorant of his designs. I had allowed some thought that I had um, that I'd been harboring in my heart, some resentment and unforgiveness to build up. And all of a sudden, I was believing things about my brothers closest to me that weren't even true. They were lies. And when I brought them into the light, there was so much healing and forgiveness. And in fact, I found that it freed me up tremendously in my prayer life. 
realized that my prayers even had been hindered because I was holding on to some unforgiveness. And I wonder if anyone in the room can relate to me. Maybe I'm all by myself. But I, I wonder if, if maybe in your heart, maybe there is something that you need to confess with brothers or sisters around you and ask them to pray for you that you may experience healing. Let's not be outwitted by the enemy because there's a real battle waging around us and prayer is powerful. The weapons of our warfare, the Apostle Paul says, have divine power to break down strongholds. But we've got to come with our desperation to God. We can't try to pretend like we can do it all by ourselves. We come to him with our need and realize that's all that we bring to the equation in our relationship with God. We come with our need and he comes with his grace. And we get to experience freedom when we trust in him. So let me ask you in your prayer life, are you engaging in prayer as war? Characterized by discipline that's undergirded by desperation. That's not all we learn though from Daniel chapter 10. Engaging in prayer as war is sustained in our lives. It's strengthened by divine love. And this is amazing. I want us to see this in verse 11. Look back with me. It says this, he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And look at verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. As you catch the double emphasis on how Daniel is addressed. You get his name. This messenger from heaven comes and says his name, Daniel. God is my judge. God is my vindication. And then the word spoken over Daniel, what God wants his messengers to make abundantly clear to Daniel is you are greatly loved. That is the word spoken over your life. Before I give you any other answers to prayer, I need you to know that the way that I see you is this. You are greatly loved. And if you're tracking with us from last week, we heard this same thing from the lips of Gabriel. It was Gabriel at that point, uh, for sure. Daniel 9, 23. I'm gonna read this for us. Daniel heard this several years earlier. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Do you know when God speaks to his people what he says? He says, you are my beloved child. I am well pleased with you. That is true of us only because of Jesus. The beloved son who came to lay down his life for us, who died in our place on the cross. He put the rulers and authorities of this world to open shame, triumphing over them at the cross, and he rose again. Let me ask you, do you know the Lord in this way? Have you placed your faith in him such that the word spoken over your life is, I love you, you're my child, all because of what Christ has done? Brothers and sisters, do you see that this is what's at stake in our prayer life? Why is prayer so important? It's because our experience of the love of God is at stake. When we skim across the surface of prayer in our lives, which we often do, and we just give him like this much, but we give our best efforts everywhere else, 
What we're leaving on the table is this experience of his divine love and mercy and grace. And I've been praying from this passage that we would leave this time and say, oh God, I cannot wait to get in your presence because I need to hear those words spoken over my heart again. I need to remember who I am, that next to my name is this statement by the almighty God of the universe, you are greatly loved. If you're anything like me, you hear this from this passage and you think, well, that is really wonderful for Daniel. But I don't know about you, I mean, I speak for myself, I usually don't have heavenly messengers coming to me during my quiet times telling me that I'm greatly loved. Like, I've never had this experience here in Daniel chapter 10, but you know what the apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 1? He says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Friends, when we come to the word of God with our hearts open to hear his voice, the spirit of God will take these truths and it will be more than just words on a page. He will press them into your heart and help you know you are greatly loved. And oh, how our hearts need to hear that if we're gonna persevere in this battle. If we're going to persevere in the war around us through prayer, we need to hear that regularly. This is what strengthened Daniel. I had a chance a couple weeks ago uh, with uh, my friend, sister in Christ, uh, here at Seven Mile Road, Bay Rummel. We got to go to a uh, prayer conference. Uh, Bay's on our prayer team. She's always down for a good prayer conference. And so I knew that Bay would want to come. And we got to go to this uh, workshop led by a businessman in Philadelphia. His name is Jim, Jim Maxim. And his title of his workshop is what hooked me. I wish we could have all been there. It was amazing. He was saying, uh, this was the title. It was leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit in your day-to-day life and in personal evangelism. I was like, I need that one. So I'm going to that workshop. And, uh, and what I realized is the, the workshop was actually so much about prayer. And he started off by saying this. He said, the way that my day starts is I wake up and I pray and say, Father, because I'm spending time in his word and spending time in the quiet, say, Father, would you help my heart? Would you allow me to adore you today? Would you allow me to see Jesus for who he really is and to to love him in response to his love for me? Would you allow me to do that? And then he went on to say, um, He said, you know, Satan only wants one thing from you, and that is your intimacy with the Savior. If he can take that one thing from you, if he can make you question his goodness, his faithfulness to you, his commitment to you, his mercy and his forgiveness that's available because of the cross, because he died for you and rose again, if he can make you question that, then he's got you right where he wants you. He said, Satan only wants one thing from you, your intimacy with Jesus. Don't let him have it. Instead, he sent us all out of this workshop. We were all fired up. He's like, he was like, hey, I want you to leave this time and be like a wrecking ball through the kingdom of darkness. He said, I want you to wake up every day and put the enemy on notice that every step you take, you're going to walk over prayed over ground because you're going to be so aware of your need for God. You're going to call out to him and ask him to go before you. And, uh, Bay and I were like high-fiving each other. We were just, we had an amazing time. But I wonder, I wonder if you and I, what are the ways in which you've allowed the enemy to take away your intimacy with Jesus? Is it unbelief? 
Is it questioning whether his word is true and trustworthy? Is it guilt and shame? One of the things Jim said, he said, if his lips are moving, he's lying. The enemy loves to lie and slander. Do you hear his voice in the back of your mind telling you, what are you, what are you doing spending time with Jesus? He doesn't hear you when you pray anyways. What, what does prayer do? Brothers and sisters, I, want, I, I wonder if we have allowed the enemy to rob our intimacy with Jesus. Would you fight for that? Would you fight to be in his presence, to hear him say over you, you're greatly loved? Because we will not persevere and be sustained in this battle unless we're leaning on his divine love. But not only that, let's keep moving. Third and final point. I can go all day on that second point, but let's keep going. What happens when we pray? What's the result when we engage in this battle? We engage in prayer as war. It requires that we, it requires disciplines undergirded by um, desperation. It's sustained and strengthened by divine love. But finally, what it results in are unseen, real answers to prayer in the spiritual realms. Specifically in this passage, what we see is prayer discharges angels and destroys demonic strongholds. Take a look with me at verse 12 and see it for yourself. Look at what it says. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Let me pause there for a moment. What happens when we pray? Like what, what, what is underneath the hood of prayer? Some of my engineer friends in the room are like, okay, so can we just like break this thing down and figure out what are the inner mechanics of prayer? How exactly does it work? Do you really want to know? Because Daniel chapter 10 pulls back the veil and it is wild what we see happening behind everything that takes place in human history. That prayer changes things in the spiritual realms. And before we presumptuously say like, hey God, I want to have a vision like Daniel, just beware because Daniel needed to go to the ER. You know, he's like barely breathing. Like God is not someone to be trifled with. He is powerful and everything in this passage is real. And I just want us to see that what Daniel hears is because he prayed, because he set his heart to understand, seeking the face of God, humbling himself before his God, his words have been heard. God wants him to know, it's not like I was delaying for 21 days because I couldn't hear you. It's not like I had other things to do and so I just was ignoring you and really wanted to see you grovel and so just let you go at it for 21 days. No, from the moment that your heart prayed, like you really truly prayed and called out to me, your prayers have been heard. And this heavenly visitor wants, this messenger wants Daniel to know, I was sent out at that moment and I have been doing battle against demonic forces over these earthly kingdoms. Like, we don't have time in this moment. We're not going to do a seminary lecture here on angelology and demonology. Um, but if you want to talk more about it after, we'd love to talk more. But one thing that we see in this passage is that there is a prince 
And I want you to think principality, like think about Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Whenever you come to a passage like this, it's important for us to keep in mind this biblical principle of interpretation. We let the didactic portions of Scripture, the teaching portions of Scripture, like Ephesians 6, help us understand what's happening in the narrative portions of Scripture like Daniel 10. And so I'd encourage you to dive in, make sense of this for yourself. But what we see here is there is... There is a demonic force, a demonic spirit that is influencing the activity in the kingdom of Persia, in the kingdom of Greece. And as soon as Daniel prays, he dispatches, God sends out an angel to go do battle. And this is what's happening behind the veil of of human history. So I want us to see that prayer is powerful. Let's keep moving to verse 20 and 21. Let's look right here. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. This messenger asks Daniel this question. Do you know why I have come to you? But he's actually just given him the answers to the test. He just told him in those previous verses, he said, I have come because of your words. Daniel, because you prayed, because you set your heart to seek the face of God and you were willing to intercede to call out to God on behalf of your people, you said, God, I know who you are. Will you be that for my brothers and sisters over in this place, 900 miles from here? Will you do what only you can, only you can rescue and save and deliver? I want to ask you, in what ways is God raising you up, burdening your heart to intercede? In what ways is he burdening you to pray? Who in your life needs you to call out to God on their behalf? Say, God, I know who you are. Can you be that for them? Because brothers and sisters, there are strongholds in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, in our city, in our nation, and in our world that will not be broken down unless the people of God call out to him and pray. God has ordained that prayer changes things. Prayer is powerful. We see just a glimpse of it in Daniel 10, and we're all left scratching our heads like, wow, I had no idea that's what's going on when we pray. The God of the universe is saying, call out to me. I came across countless amazing verses, or uh, sorry, quotes on prayer this week as I was trying to get my heart around this and and see if I could share something that would be helpful for you. I had to just pick one, so I'm going to throw this one up on the screen, but I want you to think about this. Samuel Chadwick said this about prayer. Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Brothers and sisters, God is calling you to engage in the unseen, real spiritual battle all around us by taking up the weapons of our warfare, prayer and the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, and to fight When we study what the scriptures say about spiritual warfare, what it should do in our souls is make us first not surprised when we come up against darkness and real opposition. We should not be surprised, but it also makes us unafraid 
Because he who is in us is so much stronger than he who is in the world. His word is powerful. The enemy shudders when we quote the word of God, when we bring the promises of God to bear on the realities around us and the hearts of the people around us. When we pray, the enemy trembles. I wonder how effective has he been at distracting you from this important work? For whom in your life is God calling you to intercede? In our city, in our nation, in our world, in what ways is he raising up intercessors to call out to him for our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world to cry out to him and say, God, can you be who you are for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine? Satan fears nothing but prayer. One more quote because I can't resist. Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary to China, said it this way, it is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. In what ways have you and I fallen into the trap of the enemy of just unbelief? I just don't believe that it matters. I don't believe that it works. Would you hear the voice of the Almighty God saying to you through his word, your prayers have been heard? He says, call out to me. And he says, you are greatly loved. Let me share this. As we prepare to wrap up, I, I had a chance to pray at a citywide uh, prayer gathering with um, several churches represented. And I was praying with a group of men. There were like five of us praying in a circle. And it's like the Lord just opened my eyes to see something that was happening on the other side of the room. There was this sweet older lady named Connie who was praying with four other ladies. And we had a pretty good little prayer circle going, but I could tell that like the real action was happening over there. So I, I like looked up, I was like, wow. They are really praying over there. And, uh, and Connie was praying over um, this younger lady and they finished up and they're like cheering and like high-fiving each other, hugging each other. Like you would have thought somebody just hit a buzzer beater shot in March Madness. I was like, wow, like I want to be over there with those ladies. And, uh, and I asked her about it afterwards. I was like, Connie, like it was moving to me just watching you pray with all your heart for this sister in Christ. Like, what were you guys praying about? You don't have to tell me everything, but I just want to hear like a little bit about what was going on. And she said, she said this. She said, we were celebrating Jesus's victory over the kingdom of darkness. This sister in Christ was hearing lies and believing lies from the enemy. And we were celebrating the fact that, that for those in Christ, the enemy has no claim on you. And I was like, wow, like Connie knows what Daniel learned, that we will engage in prayer as war when our discipline's undergirded by desperation, when we're sustained and strengthened by divine love. And we will see unseen real answers to prayer in the spiritual realm. So as we close, brothers and sisters, friends, how can we know this is true? Think about Jesus, the night he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, calling out to God, saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was saying, Father, is it possible? Is there any other way? And the father said, no, my son. 
There is no other way for sinners to be forgiven than for you, my perfect, sinless son, to lay down your life willingly. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus died in our place, disarming the rulers and authorities so that the enemy has no claim on anyone who trusts in him. He took the fullness of God's righteous and holy wrath towards sin that we deserved so that all that is left for us is this statement over our life. If your faith is in Jesus, you are greatly loved. For anyone in the room today who does not know Jesus as Lord, would you come to him and place your faith in him and experience that good news washing over you that he loves you? Your sins have been forgiven if you place your faith in him. And brothers and sisters, if you know him, would you engage in prayer as war and stand firm? Amen. Let me pray for us. So, Father, we hear your voice through your word. We thank you that it is powerful. God, I repent even in these moments of my my arrogance, my pride, my prayerlessness. God, would you teach us to be men and women of prayer? Would you teach us to engage in this battle, unafraid of the kingdom of darkness, pushing back the kingdom of darkness and advancing the kingdom of light, the kingdom of you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.